Good to be back with you here at Calvary Baptist. This past week I was uh, speaking at a prophecy conference, uh, actually on this message. It was requested by the host, and uh, I was actually speaking with uh, Brother Dave Conrad about this message as well. And uh, he and I both agreed, felt that it was important in the times as we you prepare for a new pastor. Uh, one of the biggest issues deals with eschatology many times. And I know that this church and in its doctrinal statement believes in the pre-trib rapture of the church. And I know those of you that are members here would agree to that as well. Children's Church. My apologies to Children's Church leaders. And as I talk to many, uh, those who believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church, many times they don't know why. And so I put this message together, and I know it's going to be a lot. But I also gave you an outline, all right? And footnotes following on the back page so that you can continue with your study and have some reference work as well on this. And so, as we talk about this, I'm looking for an apologia, not to apologize for, but to give a reason for the hope of the pre-trib rapture of the church today. Now, obviously here, the doctrine of the pre-trib rapture is an important biblical teaching, not only because it provides insights into the future, but also because it provides Christians and motivation for evangelism and holy living today. One of the great motivators for holy living is following the rapture is the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ, and we have to answer to him. And secondly, if of course all this is true, we need to be involved in evangelism and outreach because also in the future is the great white throne judgment and those not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And if that's true, we better be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then of course, by way of introduction here, whoop. I've got it on. There we go. The pre-trib rapture teaches that prior to the seven-year tribulation, all members of the body of Christ, both living and dead, will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus and then taken to heaven. In the January-February issue of Israel My Glory magazine, 
Is the battery dead on this? Okay. You must be moving it. January, February issue titled, Whatever Happened to the Rapture? In this article by David Levy, we read, When the word rapture is mentioned, responses differ. Some people know it refers to Christ's coming to take the church to heaven. Others incorrectly associate the rapture with Christ's second coming. And still others have no idea what the rapture is. Confusion prevails primarily because many churches seldom teach the subject today or lack biblical clarity when they do teach it. In some circles, people even dislike or ridicule the doctrine. Often the rapture passages are spiritualized, stripping the text of its true meaning. And many pastors today don't teach on the rapture, pre-trib rapture of the church. And so be careful as you discuss eschatology, and many just don't maybe understand. Some pastors have told me it's just too divisive. Well, salvation by grace through faith is divisive if you're a Catholic, right? I mean, there's a lot that is going to be divisive when it comes to teaching on doctrine and in teaching on eschatology. Now, I just want to point out a few things. That's going backwards. Am I going the wrong way? Is that it? Yep. Okay. Well, it's going back and forth now. All right, I want to talk about hermeneutics of the pre-trib rapture, okay? Consistent literal interpretation is essential to properly understanding what God is saying in the Bible. In spite of false characterization, what do we mean by consistent literal interpretation? Well, Dr. Tommy Ice <coughs> truly is a powerhouse teacher on the area of the pre-trib rapture of the church. So he defines it this way, it can only be accomplished through the interpretation of the written text, which includes consideration of the grammatical, all right, the rules of grammar, historical, historical setting, contextual, the context and its method, all right, of interpretation. And I just went back again. Grammatical, all right. When we speak of interpreting the Bible grammatically, we're referring to the process of seeking to determine the meaning by asserting four things. The meaning of the words, the form of the words, the function of the words, the relationship of the words, also called exegesis. I want to look at the historical with you. This aspect means that 
one must consider the historical setting and circumstances in which the books of the Bible were written. The proper concept of the historical and Bible interpretation is to view the scriptures as written during given ages and cultures. Applications should be carefully drawn in the light of the historical context. And may I emphasize the last point, it is historically written for Israel, then apply it to Israel. An important point for us to understand. Then, of course, the context. And <clears throat> Dr. Ice points out, right off the bat, all right, that a passage taken out of context is a pretext. This slogan is certainly true. Yet one of the most common mistakes made by those who are found to have misinterpreted a passage in the Bible is that of taking a verse out of its divinely ordered context. And so the context is extremely important as we come to a portion of Scripture, especially in the area of eschatology. <clears throat> a passage taken out of context is pretext for something that is a false teaching. So please remember that. Dr. David Cooper, uh, a Messianic believer, by the way, his Cooper's Golden Rule, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, and usual literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context, studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths, indicate clearly otherwise. Cooper's Golden Rule, one that I truly was raised up in at Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. So, let us be warned. I don't know if you remember this or not. Warning, warning, Will Robinson, right? Let us be warned that you take it out of context. It becomes a pretext for an allegory. An allegory is a symbolic representation. Allegorical hermeneutics stands in contrast to consistent literal hermeneutics and is usually resorted to when the literal sense seems unacceptable to the interpreter. The actual words, then, are not understood in their normal sense but in a symbolic sense which results in a different meaning of the text a meaning that in the strictest sense the text never intended to convey. Point to ponder here. If used consistently, an allegorical hermeneutics will reduce the Bible to near fiction. For the normal meaning of the words would be irrelevant and would be replaced by whatever meaning the interpreter gives to the symbols. Isn't it strange that allegorical interpretations is not practiced consistently or thoroughly? 
Those who use this system apply it usually in the area of prophecy, uh, prophecy concerning Israel. While using normal or literal hermeneutics and other areas of biblical interpretation. So, if we look at both of these, we come up with, obviously, some differing views. Okay. There it is. And I'm going to start with the pre-trib rapture, because that is my personal beliefs concerning the rapture of the church. In this chart, you'll notice here that we are living in the church age, and thus all believers will be raptured before the tribulation period. The next view is the partial rapture view. You'll notice in this chart, there are those that lived through the church age and only the spiritual Christians will be raptured before the tribulation period. The carnal Christians will go through the tribulation period and then be raptured. And then the next view that we have here is the mid-trib or pre-wrath. Here we have the believers of the church being raptured about mid-tribulational period, okay? And thus, they go through the first part of the tribulation period. And then the last view I want to show is the post-trib rapture, and it's been renamed historic premillennialism in which all believers are of the church age will go through the tribulation period and then be raptured. Now, of course, one of the interesting teachers of this, of this particular position, is, of course, George Ladd, Robert Gundry, Walter Martin, and another person that maybe you have read from, and that is John Piper. And in his message on August 30th, 1986, What Must Happen Before the Day of the Lord, I quote, this is from his message, Why am I a post-tribulationist? That is, why do I look forward with great anticipation not to a sudden departure from the world for seven years, but to a great gathering to meet the Lord in the air as he comes with his mighty angels and flaming fire to establish his earthly kingdom. Now there you see very clearly a teacher that is very popular and yet is very bold as a post-tribulationist. All right, And you notice here the wording that he gives about his position is that he looks forward with great anticipation, all right, not to the sudden departure before the tribulation period. Thus, 
all right? He's excited about going through the tribulation period. Now, I'm not. I'm excited about the pre-trib rapture of the church and not going through the tribulation period. So here is truly, all right, some of the distinctions that exist in eschatology concerning the church today. And that's the reason why I got it in your outline as well, so you can have reference points here and all of this. Now, another area that I'm faced with as I speak on the P-chip rapture of the church is the words for rapture, okay? And <clears throat> obviously here, some critics that I face have noticed that the word rapture is never used in the Bible, in which I do agree. It's not a word that is in the Bible. While this is true of the English version, the Latin translators of the Greek New Testament did use the word repere, which is the root for the English word rapture. Our current term rapture is also such a term. Thus, to claim that the rapture should be dismissed on the grounds of the language is naively incorrect. My point is in this slide from the Lexham Latin English Interlinear Vulgate on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 that talks about, all right, the pre-trib rapture of the church. And you'll notice here in the Latin, you do have the repere, and you do have the meaning to seize, to snatch away from that Latin word. And thus, we do have, all right, an understanding of the rapture English word from the Latin word here. Now, there are also critics who say that the, the, the rapture is not in the Bible any other way. Well, my next point is in reference to the words of the rapture in the Bible. Okay? Let me go back. I almost missed one. Let me go back to the first one here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then which we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Greek term here for this word, caught up, is harpazo, meaning to suddenly catch up, to seize, as A.T. Robinson points out here on this. And this is a word that describes what is going to happen at the rapture and the church will be seized, will be caught up together, all right, caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Rapture is there in that word. Yeah. Then we have, all right, 
Episungoge in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together to him. All right? Gathering together to him. A.D. A.T. Robinson translated a collection. In other words, we're being collected unto Jesus. Okay? Here's another word describing what the rapture is going to be like. Caught up, collected together, all right? All of this describing the rapture of the church. Going on here to Alasso in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 51 and 52. Here we read, a description of what happens to the believer at the time of the rapture to their bodies in particular to prepare them for eternal living in heaven. Behold, I show you a mystery, a mystery that has not been presented in the past but is now being presented, Paul says, about this Rapture. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Alasso. Okay? A very important understanding that, that we as believers in that rapture are going to be changed. Our bodies are going to be changed, all right, into something new from something old. And so... We have that change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then another word that I want to bring across to you here concerns the actual promise that Jesus made. And that was in John chapter 14 and verse 3. And they were in the upper room, he and the disciples, the night before he died. And one of the things that he points out to them, all right, is that, yes, he's going to have to die. Yes, he's going to be bodily resurrected. Yes, he's going to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. But he also points out, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. All right? Interestingly enough, we have here Paralambano. And <coughs> one translation by A.T. Robinson puts it this way when he says, and I shall take you along with me to my home. In other words, he's taking us to live with him. And what a beautiful promise that is. All right? And Jesus fulfilling that promise truly at the rapture of the church that where I am, 
there you may be also in that place where he has prepared for us. Right? Exciting to see the promise of Jesus here to be fulfilled in the pre-trib rapture of the church. Let me point out this to you, another word in Titus 2.13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. All right? Vine talks about this as epiphania. In other words, a, a shining forth. Okay? A shining forth in his appearance to men on that day. This will truly be a big moment. A big moment for the church and for the world during that particular time. And then, of course, I want to give you another word on your list there from 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He, talk, he talks about waiting for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, I a word to rescue us, in other words, to rescue us from what is called the wrath to come. Now, my understanding of that and many others is the wrath to come is the tribulation period. So uh, the purpose of Jesus coming is to deliver us from that wrath, in other words, pre-trib rapture, not going through it. And then, interestingly enough, as you see on your chart there, your notes is the last word that we have here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into, unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the word revelation here is apocalypsis, an uncovering, an unveiling. Uh, this is the name of the book of Revelation, by the way. And what's interesting is that the world has kind of, you know, captured this word and redefined it into something like it's going to be an apocalypse. So in other words, the world's coming to an end. That's not the meaning of the word at all. It means a revealing is going on by God in reference to Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is not the end. It's just a beginning of something else that God has got planned for the nation of Israel. And so, as we think about these two things, Israel and the church, I want to go in your notes there the five reasons the church is distinct from Israel. Now, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum truly has given us something here worth remembering and thinking about. That, number one, the church was born at Pentecost 
whereas Israel had existed for many centuries, okay? The church is distinct from Israel. The church began at Pentecost. And then secondly here, certain events in ministry of the Messiah were essential to the establishment of the church. Well, let's think of, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection happened before the establishment of the church. His promise in John chapter 14 of coming back, taking us unto him and our home that he's built for us. Uh, the body of Christ and Christ as the head is also a part of the church teaching. And, and then, of course, the, the necessary part of the indwelling, the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts, totally different and distinct from the nation of Israel. And then, obviously, you have the mystery nature of the church. Described as a mystery, not before revealed until recently, such as the body concept of Jew and Gentile believers united into one body. Believing Jews, believing Gentiles become one in the body of Christ. That was unique and different. And then, of course, Christ indwelling the believer all right, is called a, a mystery in Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Just the church as the bride of Christ. All right, the church is a bride of Christ, called a mystery in Ephesians chapter 5. And even the rapture itself is called a mystery in 1 Corinthians 15. So we have here... That, that mystery nature of the church is a distinction. And then unique relationship between the Jew and the Gentile, all right? And then lastly, in the book of Acts, okay, in the book of Acts, both Israel and the church exist simultaneously. The term Israel is used 20 times, and ecclesia, usually translated church, 19 times, yet the two groups are always kept distinct. Even in the book of Acts, after the beginning of the church, the scripture writes a distinction there between the two. Dr. Fruchtenbaum points out, if Israel and the church are not distinguished, then there is no basis for seeing a future of Israel and for the church as new and unique people of God. If Israel and the church are merged into a single program, then Old Testament promises for Israel will never be fulfilled and are usually seen by replacement theologians. Please understand, there are those who teach a replacement theology. And what he's talking about here 
and which clearly that the promises and the covenants for the nation of Israel are no longer for Israel, but replaced to be for the church. That's called replacement theology. The merging, then, of Israel's destiny in the church not only makes into one what the Scriptures understand as two, it removes a need for future restoration of God's original elect people in order to fulfill literally his promise that they will one day be the head and not the tail in Deuteronomy 28, 13. And so these things present, there is a great distinction here in the Bible between Israel and the church, and keep it that way. God has a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for the church. And God's plan for the church is the pre-trib rapture of his people. All right? The bridegroom coming for the bride, taking us home to the place that is prepared for us. God has a future for Israel as well. At the second coming and the millennial reign, thousand-year millennial reign. Now, I want you to look at the next point there on your notes. Five major points. First of all, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 12, discuss a man of lawlessness being held back until a later time. Since the lawless one, the Antichrist, as he's also known, cannot be revealed until the restrainer in that passage is the Holy Spirit is taken away. Now, that happens at the rapture. And thus, the tribulation cannot occur until this occurs in the future. It is the restraining Holy Spirit that holds back, all right, the Antichrist and Satan and the Antichrist from doing their thing. So after that happens, they're free to go forward with the tribulation period. I mentioned another point in your notes here is the nature of the church itself. All right. The church is the bride of Christ, and the bridegroom has promised to come and take the bride back to the Father's house. That was the promise. Away from, remember, the wrath to come. The bride does not go through the wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And, of course, that is my next point. Delivered from the wrath to come. And very powerful point that we have here. Well, the nature of the tribulation. Okay? is also an understanding here that we need to have in that the tribulation 
is completely different, all right, than anything else that is tied to the church. The church has the heavenly home. The tribulation is truly something of seven years, all right? And the most extensive biblical comments on the tribulation are found in the writings of John, specifically in Revelation 6 through 19. And <clears throat> next I want to point out the eminency of Christ's calling. Now, we believe that our Lord and Savior... Jesus Christ could come in the clouds at any moment and take his church to be with him to his father's house. What a great hope that while you are reading this, our Lord could return and the rapture his church. In other words, it is imminent, okay? We have come to call this any moment hope of the rapture an imminent event. What is the biblical definition of eminency? Four important elements contribute to the pre-tribulational understanding of eminency. The four elements, all right. Dr. Thomas Ice points out eminency means that the rapture could take place at any moment while other events may take place before the rapture, no event must precede it. Okay? No event must precede it. We're not looking at events that are tied to, well, if this happens, the rapture will happen. No, it's imminent. It can happen before we leave here today. And then, secondly... In your notes, since the rapture is imminent and could happen at any moment, then it follows that one must be prepared for it to occur at any time without sign or warning. I mean, that's the, that's the purpose behind the words in Titus, chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope. In other words, every day expecting this to happen, okay? Every day, looking, looking up. I remember we used to try, uh, do uh, what we would call rapture practice. Anybody remember rapture practice? All right, you know, up we go, okay? Interestingly enough. But it truly is something that is imminent. Third, imminency eliminates date setters. Once you set a date for the rapture, it is no longer imminent. And, and boy, how many books have come out just in my lifetime of when the rapture was going to happen? Okay? They've come... The books have come and gone, all right? And we're still here. But date setting does not fit into eminency in any way, shape, or form. And then uh, Dr. Showers, who is part of our organization and went home to be with the Lord, by the way, says a person cannot legitimately say 
that an imminent event will happen soon. The term soon implies that an event must take place within a short time. By contrast, an imminent event may take place within a short time. But it does not have to do so in order to be imminent. So, imminency is truly a great English word to describe what the pre-trib rapture of the church is all about. Now, one of the things that I want to point out is a contrast between the rapture and the second coming. Now, I grew up, uh, well, I married into a family, my wife's family, and, and one of my brother-in-laws was uh, reformed, a replacement theologian, and, and looked at the rapture and all that we've discussed up to this point exactly the same as the second coming. I mean, I had my debates with him over and over again about this. And even at his funeral, his sons got up and read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, describing the rapture, along with Revelation chapter 19, describing Jesus' second coming. And it was all, in their mind, exactly the same event in human history. Okay? And so I want to point that out to you, all right, as we look at this last point here, the contrast between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture is characterized in the New Testament as a translation or resurrection coming in which the Lord comes for his church taking her to the Father's house. On the other hand, all right, on the other hand there, you see Christ's second advent with his saints <coughs> returning with him descends from heaven and arrives on the earth to stay and set up his messianic kingdom. So you have two contrasting prophetic events here. Now, the best way I know to see that is in chart form. And in John Walvoord's commentary on the book of Revelation, he puts this chart in there for people that contrasts between the rapture and the second coming. And I put it on your notes. Because if I don't put it on your notes, everybody's asking me for a copy of this, all right? So, I just put it on the notes. John Walvoord, the book of Revelation, he set side by side, all right, the contrasting differences here, okay? The translation of all believers in the rapture, no translation at all. Translated saints go to heaven. Translated saints return to earth. Earth is not judged, but earth is judged in righteousness and established. Imminent, any moment. 
follows definite predicted signs, including the tribulation. So you go on down through there, and you have the contrast, and you'll see clearly that these are two separate events in Bible prophecy. So, in this chart, you'll notice here I put a timeline. This is part of Dr. Tommy Ice's chart, and I have the church right here, okay? And then I have the rapture right here. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then I have the tribulation period right here, seven-year tribulation period. And then I have the second coming right here. And so in this chart, and then of course the millennial age, the great white throne judgment, and then the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem throughout eternity. So we have that in this chart. I know you don't have a copy of that. Sorry. And so this presents to us in a timeline exactly how eschatology is going to be fulfilled or God's plans for the ages, for the church. The next big event for the church and God's plan for us is going to be our rapture from this earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 through 17, don't be ignorant, brethren, he said. The next biggest event in Bible prophecy is going to be the rapture of the church. Our rapture, which is going to change the world dramatically when all the believers on the planet are gone and all the bodies of the believers' graves are empty and will all be changed in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. And what is left on the planet is all non-believers. Non-believers are not left on this planet. Okay? Thus, in that vacuum and chaos and confusion, the Antichrist can come along and make that covenant with many in Israel for one week or seven years called the tribulation period in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. So you see what happens there in reference to all of that. The world changes dramatically. And so we're looking for the blessed hope and glory superior. And this is my reasoning for it. All of this I put together, and there's footnotes and others for your further study as well. All right? Now, 
I want to close with this, hopefully. Ah, there it is. Brother Gary will appreciate this song. Blackwood Brothers. There's coming a day when no heartaches shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Stand with me and sing the chorus as we close this morning's message.